Right, episode number 95, we're going to discuss mental training in sports. How important is it? We're going to get into this. How are we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. Where you have to eliminate the excuses, you gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point. All right. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Hope you all had a great weekend. It was a hot one up here in New England, but it felt great because I got to take some of my my uh, gym peeps out to do the Tough Mudder up in New Hampshire. So it was our first obstacle race since this whole pandemic thing. So it was nice to actually get back out there and have some sense of normalcy, get our camaraderie and team spirit back. So hope everyone else had a great weekend as well. So yesterday we debuted the new show, We About to Get Deep with Robert E. Foster. So if you missed it, you can check it out here. This will bring you right to the YouTube the, the, uh, the YouTube page. So we buy to get deep.com. We discussed should critical race theory be taught in schools. And it was a great episode. It was myself, my daughter, and two other two other panelists. And it was a really awesome conversation. So the way debates should be. Like there shouldn't be people yelling, screaming, and veering off topic, insulting each other. That's all nonsense. So so we took a tough subject, and we had a nice dialogue, and we had action steps at the end. Because it's one thing to just, you know, blah, 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 and then do, go back to life as normal, which we're each going to take steps to find out what the schools in our district are actually teaching the kids. Right? So that's that, that show. So now let's get back to the show. So as you all know, I'm an athlete. I am a coach. I'm a gym owner. And so you have your X's and O's of, of the sport things that, you know, skill-wise people need to need to, to learn. But one thing that I found, especially since I started coaching in 1994, well, I'm that old, <laughs> since I started coaching in 94, is that the mental piece is missing from the coaching. So it's one thing, you can have all the talent in the world, but this is your computer, right? The body is going to respond to what the, the computer tells it. So, the, the more that you can pro- program your subconscious mind with those with you know clarity, with vision, with positivity, it's going to translate into you becoming a better athlete. So don't just take my word for it because I brought in an expert. She is a mental performance coach. I actually came across her on someone else's show. And she was talking and I got sucked right in. I was like, this woman speaks my language. I have to get her on the show. So today is her time to shine. Please help me welcome Amanda Clements. And I hope I pronounced that right. Close enough. Close. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. So we ready to dive into this? Absolutely. 
All right. Well, first, I want the people to know who the hell they're listening to. So who is Amanda? Give us some, some uh, quick background on you. Yes, sure. I am a former competitive athlete. I was a gymnast for 17 years and followed up by three years of women's tackle football. Oh, wow. And I am now a mental performance coach for other athletes. So I work from club level up to collegiate and professional, um, really teaching and honing the mental side of sports. Nice. All right. Good, good, good. So what was your childhood dream job? A spy. Was <laughs> that a spy? A spy. That's I a was going to be a spy my entire life. I love um, I every day after school, I climbed the trees and I had a notebook and I would observe my neighbors <laughs> and I was convinced I was going to see a crime and I was going to solve it. Um, and then even when I was in college, I studied criminal justice. I had an internship with the FBI. So agents, FBI agents actually came into my practice at school, interviewed <laughs> my teammates, my coaches. I had a top secret clearance when I was 19. Wow. Um, and during that internship with the FBI, you know, this thing that I had been waiting for for so long, I think two weeks in, I was like, hmm, yep, not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I still, I, I really enjoyed the classes I took. So of course I finished the degree and everything like that, but I just knew then that it, what I thought was going to be was definitely not what was going to happen. Gotcha. Un understandable. Yeah. I, um. That's the first I've, I've heard that one, I got to say. <laughs> no, I, I definitely hear some some good things, some good, uh, unique things when I ask that question. But Spy, that's a first out of 95 shoes. <laughs> that's awesome. So, like, I used to climb, climb trees, too. Like, I grew up in the woods. And uh, there's trees all over, all over the yard. But I used to obviously try to find the tallest one, get as high up as I can get, and just sit there. I, I just liked being elevated, you know. So, like, did you ever have, like, your fantasy superpower? Ooh. Growing up, I think I really, because I was into being so sneaky, I wanted to be <laughs> invisible. So I okay. kind of around and watch and observe. Um, now, the fantasy would be to get inside people's heads and really see how they look at life, how they process, like what stands out to them because we operate as if we're all on the same page. And in reality, we're often on totally different pages looking at totally different things, interpreting them in totally different ways. So if I could look, like get in people's heads and see what that's like, mm -hmm. I would love that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's similar, similar to what to what I do. Like I help people basically tell their life story. Mm -hmm. And so we usually go back from childhood and and I again I have my trusty notebook and I just write things out. And then from there we we piece it together. So but it's, it's just amazing. You could take something simple like vacation with mm -hmm. that one word and get 500 different interpretations. Because uh -huh. for, for me, it's on a mountain, I'm hiking, the steeper, the better. Like I can do that all day long. For some people, it's laying on the beach. For some people, it's traveling abroad, you know, but it's, it's like we're all, we're all wired so differently, but we all have the same needs. Yeah. And the example that I use is if my boyfriend and I were walking down the beach at the same exact time, mm 
mentally my experience would be like oh this is so romantic oh the sunset oh the sand oh this is just love and in his head it would be like what's the tide what fish are in the water how far away is my fishing rod do i have time to go back before it's dark you know same exact place same exact time walking in silence and mentally our experiences would be so different so true <laughs> yeah like with my daughter and i we we talk about about that too you know we'll be because like she hikes with me and uh she did the tough mother race with with uh, my group over the weekend mm-hmm. and just like as we're going through and i'll say something outlandish and, and she's like that's where your mind is right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yes yeah, i like, completely understand that oh, oh god all right so you said you went to you went to college for criminal <laughs> justice mm-hmm. right, so. I know you you kind of touched on it already, but but like when was the defining moment where you knew that that's that wasn't what you were gonna pursue? It was really in the internship um, because I was since it was with the FBI, I was in a government setting, yeah. and this setting in particular, you know, it was a very secure workplace. The blinds had to be closed at forty five degrees, so no one could mm-hmm. see in. It was my first exposure to like nine to five lifestyle, being at a desk, a lot of just like printing paper and waste and a lot of meetings that just didn't go anywhere. And I just felt like like I could feel who I was and what I wanted just was not this. And I had no idea what I did want, but... I, I just knew this was not it. And so finished the internship, finished the degree and never looked in that direction again. <laughs> yeah. Like I actually wanted to be a lawyer because mm. I, li- I like to debate, you know, like, like I said, I just started a debate show, you know, but, uh-huh. but I like to debate, but I, I like to get to the root of problems. Like mm-hmm. that's just, that's just always been my thing. But with with being a lawyer, there's there's a lot of sitting around. There's a lot of paperwork, you know. Depending on what branch of law, there's some sheet some shadiness too. And mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, it's like that's just no. It's like that's not it. It's like I just I just knew it that that wasn't it. All right, so you decide that that's not what you're gonna do. You finish the degree. What were your next steps from there? So I continued with my summer job, which was working at a golf course. Um, And that was probably one of the other things that really planted a seed of what I wanted life to look like. Because at this job, it was my college job. And you know, at that age, most people don't want to go to work. They're like, Oh, I have to go to work today. (laughs) But because I was outside all day, I was driving around, I was talking to the golfers, I was doing my own thing. It like, planted the seed of, oh my gosh, like my whole life, I've heard adults say like, oh, wait till the real world. Oh, it's a grind. Oh, you're going to hate it. And I would love this job. And I would show up early. I would stay late. I would pick up as many shifts as I could only because I loved it. Not because the money or anything, just because I loved being there. And my thoughts started to become well, after college, when I get a real job, why can't it be this? Why does it have to be this like dreaded grind that everybody talks about? So that was a major 
like planted seed in my head. And that's probably why it was so much easier for me to say, oh, this degree is not for me because I had experienced something that I really did love. And so after I graduated, I continued at the golf course for the summer. I traveled to Spain for a couple months because I couldn't study abroad in college because of sports. So I went abroad. And when I came back, I got a nine to five job (laughs) 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 because I had uh, that top secret clearance was still technically active. And so there was a company in D.C. who did construction management for government buildings. Yeah. And they said, you already have the clearance. We'll just teach you whatever you need to know. Mm. And so my first four years were working a nine to five in an office, um, which I did not see coming, but really (laughs) ended up being an excellent experience. (laughs) So how did your parents feel about you not pursuing the degree? I mean, uh, the field. So this is probably like one of the things I'm most, I'm grateful for many things for my parents, but I think it was my dad in particular, when we, there's four kids in my family, when we went to college, he specifically said, and he, I don't know if this number is accurate, but he said, look, 82% of people never work in the field that they studied for. He said, it does not matter what you pick. I don't care what you pick. Pick something that you think you'll enjoy. That way you'll go to class. That way you'll get decent grades. And after school, like figure it out then. And so if I didn't have that message, I think it probably would have been a very hard decision to make because I was the type of, you know, we're all so tied to identity. And I was the type of person everyone knew I was going to be a spy. Everyone was excited for it. Everyone knew I had like this clearance. And I think had he not given me that advice or given us that advice, I would have been very hung up on, well, everyone expects this of me and I probably would have kept pursuing it. So when he gave that advice and then I said, okay, this is not what I'm doing. No one really batted an eye. It was like, all right. Nice. <laughs> exploring. Yeah. that I'm very grateful for that. I gotta say, every time you say the word spy, I I, I picture you with shades with a with a big trench coat on, <laughs> little, little binoculars. So my um, I think it was my somewhere in college when I started kind of thinking about what jobs are out there. This is when I still thought I was gonna stick with criminal justice. Um, I was a gymnast and I saw a job listing. For it was like a clandestine position must be able to hide in small spaces. And I was like, oh, oh. like that's it. the one. This is what I'm gonna do. That's awesome. Uh, All right. So when did you make the transition into doing what you're doing now? I lost the link feed. It was a pretty longer term transition. It was not just a, a quick overnight okay. thing, but when I was in my nine to five job, because I was still, you know, 22, 23, making good money, I was in DC and like going to happy hours and like all this stuff. I, again, I didn't really like care about the work so much, but I just loved every day. I was excited to show up. I was excited to like walk down the street and get coffee with coworkers. And I was mm-hmm. excited to have a paycheck and be able to pay for things in the city. 
And so to me, I was just showing up like, this is great. This is fun. Like, <laughs> why is everyone else not excited with me? <laughs> and around me, it was a lot of, oh, I can't wait till Friday. Oh my God, it's Monday. Oh, the weekend is so short. People on the Metro, which is the subway in DC, yeah. just like looking miserable. And I again had this thought, if you're not happy and you hate what you're doing, let's do something else. And so my mind started thinking, if I could have a job like you that could help people figure out what made them happy, what lit them up, I was like, that would be my job. That's what I would do. And then I heard the phrase life coaching and I was like, ooh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> so my company paid for my training. I became a certified life coach while I was working in DC. My first uh, clients were my coworkers and I would take them across the street to get coffee, charge them 30 bucks. <laughs> and I had terrible meetings. I was so bad at it. Um, but these are my first clients. And at the same time, I was struggling with the transition out of sports because, again, that was my identity. At that yes. point, my identity for my entire life. I was a 20-year yeah. athlete, and I was now 24, 25. So it was my whole life. And my coworker said, that could be your thing. You could help athletes transition out of sports and find the next thing that excites them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is it. And yeah. so I, the idea started there. Um, it didn't take long before all I thought about 24-7. And I was so over the office job. I was like, this is just <laughs> not me. And so I quit and just kind of started picking up part-time seasonal jobs so I could pay my bills. <laughs> That's about all I could do. <laughs> but really on the side, started developing this idea. And then... As the years went by, you know, the, the thought was retiring athletes, helping them transition. Yeah. This is now 10, today is now 10 years later, and I'm only just now getting my first client that is transitioning out of sports. Okay. But along the way, I started to get all these calls about, can you do performance anxiety? Or my athlete has a really hard time getting over mistakes or... My team culture is off and I just started saying yes to everything. And yeah. as long as, you know, ethically it was within my bounds, if it got into the psychology or therapy, yeah. you know, realm, that was a referral. But if ethically it was within my bounds, I would say, yes, I would do it. I would try it. I would explore. And over time, it was just like one day I was like, wow, I'm like a mental skills coach. Like, this is what I am. And yeah. it just kind of, you know, became its thing over time. That's that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Because most people that stumble stumble into business, I call it stumbling, because if you don't plan on it, because, like, I didn't plan on it. So most people know, know my, my story. I was a restaurant manager for 20 years. But coming coming out of school like I want to be in that an athletic trainer or like mm -hmm. you know own a health club or, or manage a health club something al along those lines and I ended up leaving school without the irony here <laughs> I, dro I dropped out of college three times because because <gasps> the majors that I picked went through psychology 
And I didn't, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stomach it. Like my first class at the University of Rhode Island, there was 660 kids in a psychology class. The teacher was like 78 years old and she spoke like this. And I cannot learn in that environment. Like I, I'm not one to say I can't do something. I couldn't do that. I, I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. So anything that went through psychology, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to go work full time until I figure yeah. out what, what would I want to do. But so, but along those lines, like, so once I started having kids and then like started missing stuff, it's like, you know, now you just start looking at your job differently, you know, when you're a parent. So it's like, why am I, why am I killing myself in here? You know, 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days. It's like, yeah, it paid well, you know, it's, you know, there's benefits and stuff. But like you were saying, I knew that wasn't me. It's like, I'm a happy-go-lucky, high-energy kind kind of guy. But when you're in the midst of the fire all day long, because, you know, this broke. This one didn't show in, show up. This one got hurt. You know, this guest is complaining. It's, it's like constantly just putting out fires. I was like, I'm not putting my best attributes where they belong. So I converted my garage into a gym. It was more so for me. It was an outlet for me. I wanted to get back to my athletic roots. And then I started just working with a couple people clo- close to me. You know, again, it was just for fun. And then, then some, someone's like, you know, you should charge and actually train some people here. And I was like, okay, let's try it. See how it goes. And it went from getting one person to 14 to 30 to 45 <laughs> and, and i was like okay this wasn't supposed to happen <laughs> you know, i was just trying to make some side like vacation money <laughs> and, then, and then it spiraled into a you know five thousand square foot facility you know we did quarter, quarter million in volume the first year oh that, that that it was open i was like well, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm definitely not an entrepreneur. Like I'm a hobbypreneur. Like, like it, was, it wasn't supposed to go there, you know. But now I get to help people find the things that they truly want to do and pursue them, you know. So back to you. So now you initially wanted to focus on people transitioning out because Olympians will tell you that's definitely a thing. You know, yeah. you give you give your heart and soul for four years. Competition's over. It's like now what? So yeah. so there's there's definitely a need there, but there's also a need for the athletes currently in sports, as as you found out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and it's the reason there's a need for retiring athletes is because we didn't teach this to the active athletes. We yes. did not. And when I and when I say active athletes, I really mean we don't teach this to anybody. I do yeah. think it should be part of our educational system and our curriculum, but we should be teaching mindset skills, emotional intelligence, as we've talked about, how do you experience mistakes? How do you feel them? How do you move through them? How do you communicate what you're going through and what you're feeling and what you need? And we don't teach any of this. And so with the active athletes, ideally, you teach them all these skills so that inevitably they most likely will go through an identity crisis when they leave, but they'll be so much more prepared to understand it and process it and express it. It doesn't mean it won't be there and it doesn't mean it's not going to feel super uncomfortable and sometimes very sad and it's grief for a lot of athletes, but they will have the tools and understanding on what it really is. How do I move through it? 
and how do I get to that next phase? So I'm definitely working with a lot of active athletes in preparation for that eventual transition. Yes. And I would say it's not taught anymore. So it's probably really? not, not taught to, to the level that you're teaching it now. But mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm a few years older than you are. But I remember, like, my coaches, they were, they were, they were tough. It's like I think the difference now is, is everything's about feelings, mm-hmm. you know. And whereas in the real world, it ain't like that. <laughs> it's like you're either qualified or you're not. And so I think now we're just, like, giving participation trophies and we're just rewarding – I hate to use the word mediocrity, but that's what it is. You know, mm-hmm. rather than teaching the kids that there's highs and there's lows. If you mm-hmm. only give them the highs, they're not equipped to deal with the lows, which mm-hmm. leads to me- mental health issues down down the line. You know, yeah. so so you're def- you're definitely on to some something here. So how did you start it? <laughs> Piece together with duct tape and staples, <laughs> you know? um, it really actually the Start is very interesting. So when I was in that nine to five job and my coworker said, you should work with retiring athletes. I was like, yes, that feels very right. I spent a month with two of my coworkers writing a one page letter to the then called Washington Redskins, um, which were not far from DC. Mm -hmm. And they had a director of player engagement. I sent him this one page letter. I FedExed it overnight once it was finally done, just kind of saying, this is who I am. This is what I do, even though I hadn't done it yet. (laughs) This is my business. And I mailed it and I said, you know what? I did it. I sent it. I'll probably never hear anything. So the next day I get to my office and I get an email from FedEx saying your package has been delivered. And 20 minutes later, they called me. And I'm running through my office like, what do I do? What do I do? And my coworkers really answer the phone. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah. And so the gentleman from the team said, got your letter, loved it. We need this. And I'm thinking like, dang, that was easy. So I went out and I met with him and he wanted me to start meeting the players. And of course, you know, the team's track record isn't very good, especially in the last mm. 20 years. So yeah. Every time I was supposed to come out to start meeting players, the team would lose the day before, and then they'd have an extra practice or an extra meeting, and then I got bumped. And then it wasn't long before the head coach was replaced and my contact was replaced, and, you know, that didn't pan out. Until a couple years ago, I finally got in touch with them again, you know, now Washington football team. Same person, not the same person, but same position. And um, I've been going in to meet with the rookies and work on mental skills training, especially coming into the league and what that really looks like. But that is like a 10 year gap from when I thought (laughs) it was happening, (laughs) when it really did. And in between, it was just up and down, up and down. As you know, you know, I was not living a luxurious life. I was just doing what I had to to pay my bills. And in the meantime, just calling people, emailing people, trying, testing, exploring. Um, so it's been really interesting. That's great. See, and that's why I always say that there's no such thing as failure. It's like mm. you kept going, kept going. Kept, like as long as you keep going, there's there's no failure. 
You know, exactly. like, have I made mistakes along the way? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. have, have I tried things that didn't pan out? Yeah, it didn't pan out. I learned, don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. Also, like people either say either it works or you learn from it. You know, mm -hmm. so kudos to you for sticking with it. Yeah, that you hit on something actually really interesting is when I was growing up, I was pretty naturally good at school. I generally got A's, a handful of B's here and there. Um, and with gymnastics, I excelled very quickly in the sport. From the minute I started, I was instantly brought into the team and just excelled really quickly. Yeah. And so through my elementary, middle school into high school years, I just got a ton of positive feedback about, oh my God, you're so good. Oh, look, straight A's. Oh my God, you're moving up to the next level in gymnastics. And positive feedback is good, but what it did was develop this fear of failure because my identity became, I am very good at these things and I refused to try anything else, any other sports, any other clubs where I was not a hundred percent sure I was going to be great. And it was just my, I, and I so regret it now. And the fact that over time I started exactly what you just said, it was not about failing or messing up or like that doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't, you know, let people down. Yeah. Um, now I get all sorts of calls from parents saying my kid excelled very quickly in their sport. They're very good at school or they're very good at multiple sports or multiple things. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, typically in the 12 to 14 age range, they're just having total meltdowns. And it's that fear of if I'm not the best, that equals bad. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I love that kind of stuff. That's awesome. So in 2002, I took a head track coaching position at a local high school, not too far from, from here. And so with the day I started, I saw that the boys and the girls that they practiced together. So I was the boys, the boys head coach. And so I went over to the girls head coach. And I was like, is this normal? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what was the record last year? They were like one in 10. So I was like, okay, this stops now. I was like, like all boys down there. And I had everyone take out their report cards. And then anyone that had anything below a C had to exit. And, mm. and so when I first started, I got a lot of backlash from the parents. A mm. lot of backlash. Because like I was very stern with them. Because I was like, one in 10 is unacceptable. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like... If you got, if you have a 40 on your report card, that's unacceptable, right? I said, yeah, one in 10 is, that's failing. I said, and uh, we're not going to have a failing culture here. And so we ended up going seven and three the first year. We went six and four the, the, the next year, but there's an asterisk there. <laughs> one of the meets was our senior field trip. Uh -huh. So, and I had a team full of like all most of my stars were seniors. <laughs> so I lost them all for that meet. So we should have been seven and three and seven and three. But and then I ended up leaving because I was working third shift at the time. And I ended up getting an opportunity to work first shift. So I took it. So I had to leave, leave the school after the second season. And parents would it, it was a complete 180. They were like, oh no, like so and so has has you know just come so far. 
they've like improved at home and doing their chores and how they interact with their siblings. Like, but just giving them that that mental stability help it, it helps it's not just about the sport like your website beyond the game mm-hmm. you know like that's it, it like you're teaching them skills how to cope with life yep yep you beyond know. the game and it's you know what i teach i use sports as the medium to teach yes. it but exactly everything we talk about can apl- be applied to anything in life and usually it doesn't take long before the athletes really start asking you about life things or they start testing the waters. Can I bring this up? How will she react? I wonder what she'll say. Yes. And then when they start to see particularly male athletes, they will test you with, you know, provocative things yeah. just to see how is she going to react and can I trust her? Mm-hmm. And when they see I'm not judging what you're telling me at all. I'm genuinely listening. I'm giving you genuine feedback on these topics that are borderline risque. Mm -hmm. Once they see, oh my God, she didn't judge me for that. She didn't say anything about that. She wasn't upset about that. Then they bring up things they actually care about. Those things they didn't care about. They're just (laughs) trying to feel the, you know. Let's see how she'll react to this. Yeah. And then they really start to share like, This is what's happening in my family. This is what my parents said to me. This is what I went through at a party this weekend. I don't know what to do about it. And yeah, the parents probably thinking, the coaches think we're probably talking about sports, but it's really about skills we learned during practice, but we're now applying it to things that really matter. Not that sports don't matter, but some things they really care about that they want help on and didn't know how to do it. Exactly. And, and again, it, it helps with confidence. It helps with self-esteem. It helps with teamwork. It helps with personal work ethic. It helps with accountability. Like, and all of those things translate into the next level, whether it's, you know, going to go and put the play at the high school level, going to play at the collegiate level or transitioning into the workforce. Like I've had uh, former professional athletes on, on this, this show and they're all business people now because they take, because you have to be super disciplined to become a professional athlete, even a collegiate athlete. You have to be super disciplined, and you can that easily translates into the workforce slash business, mm-hmm. as you know. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, as you know. So I had this. I had this young young woman. This was back in 1996. I was at a track meet. I just happened to just show up to watch it because I love track. Like I can watch it all day long. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm watching the high jump. Uh, that was my my main event, and I see this girl like she, she's got springs in her legs. So, like she goes, she she jumps. She's way over the bar, but she misses it, and she's just in her mind. And I call her over. She doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. I was just like, "You come here." <laughs> and so she comes over. It's like before your next jump, I want you to take three deep breaths. Picture yourself going over the bar and drive your knee harder than you ever have before. That was it. And so she goes, she jumps, she makes it. She she runs right past her coach and comes <laughs> and comes back to me. She's like, "All right, so what do I do for this next jump?" You know? <laughs> so she goes, she makes it, she comes back over again, and now the coach starts coming over because you know some some coaches are very territorial with their athletes. And so so she comes, she comes over. I'm like, "Here we go," but mm-hmm. she was like, "What did you say to her?" And so I told her, and she's like, "She doesn't listen to anyone." 
<laughs> she, she's like, do you want a job? She's like, you know, she's like, it's like it doesn't have to be full time, but like, can, like, would you want to work with her a couple times times a week? She's like, you know, the school will pay you. And I was like, sure, sure, why not? And I changed a couple things in her approach, but other than that, I just kept putting in her her mind, you're the best in the state. I said, you're you're the best in the state. Go prove it. You're the best in the state. Go prove it. And then I actually took. A, uh, I don't want to say permanent, but I took a more expanded role the next year. And by the, by the middle of that season, I was like, Laura, let me hear it. She's like, I'm the best in the state and I'm going to go prove it. She went un- undefeated, won the States. She got second in New England and she got a full ride to Stonehill College. Wow. And, and all I did was get her to believe in herself. Like I wasn't with her in the weight room, you know, said besides tweaking her form a little, I didn't really teach her how to jump. I just taught her how to believe in yep. herself. Yep. I've, I've said before when people really ask like what mental performance coaching is or how it works, I I tell them to visualize being in a football game and on the sidelines, you see the head coach, the offensive coordinator, coordinator, the receivers coach, running backs coach, and then imagine a mental skills coach on there. It's teaching mm. a part of the game. I'm not yes. teaching X's and O's. I'm not conditioning them. I'm not in the weight room with them but I'm teaching a skill that is part of the whole process. And yes. that's, you know, most of the time ignored or like you said, coaches just don't really know how to incorporate it or much about it or who to bring in. And so it just goes, you know, unnoticed and untapped. Yes. Yeah. And people would like, you, you'll just yell at the kids, like get your head in a game or, or whatever. And, you know, they can't do anything with that. Yeah. Or just have fun. Relax and have fun. And inside, yeah. they're like tense and they can't breathe and they're anxious. Mm. They're like, I, I can't just relax and have fun right now. Like, you know, how do you actually do that? That's a skill that takes practice and training yep. and working on it. It's true. Yeah, my daughter, she runs track as well. And, you know, like she gets the pre, pre-competition jitters. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm, I'm always telling her, like, breathe. Just breathe. Just like like you trained for this, like because I I always tell them gold medals are won in practice. I said you pick them up at the meet. You know? <laughs> so, so if you condition yourself properly, everything's gonna work itself out on mm-hmm. on race day. And so I have five kids, and like my younger, I have twin boys who are twelve. They're my youngest, mm-hmm. and like they they run track too, and so. I still compete myself at the ripe old age of 46. And so this was before the pandemic. I was heading out for the master's championships. And I said, all right, boys, I'll, I'll be back later with uh, three gold medals. And my son, Benjamin, he's like, you, you think you're going to win? I said, I expect to win. I said, I trained for this. I said, if, so, if somebody happens to beat me, they happen to beat me, but I'm not going to beat myself. I said, so I'm going into this with the expectation that I'm winning, you know, and, and I think especially with the younger kids, they have a problem with that because it's like it's cocky or it's like they're, they're being self-centered. I was like, why? Why are you practicing five days a week? Are you practicing five days a week to lose? <laughs> it's like there's nothing wrong with wanting to win, you know, because like cause there, there's a way to teach how you want to win. And there's also a way to teach losing. Yeah. Yeah, I'll build on to that because uh, what you said about being cocky is whenever I introduce the concept of positive thinking and positive thoughts and the effect it has on performance, I hear it all the time. 
well, I'm not going to go out there and just say I'm the greatest and I'm going to win. And I'm like, okay, what happens if you were to walk out there and say, I'm the greatest, I'm going to win. They're like, I would, you know, feel uncomfortable. I would feel cocky. Well, then it's not a positive thought for you. If it doesn't produce a positive emotion, then it's not a positive effect for you. Yes. And But if you go out there and say, I'm the greatest, I'm going to win, and it makes you feel confident and calm, then for you, that's a positive thought. So it's not just positive thinking is not just these scripted thoughts. Yeah. It's finding out what thoughts for you produce positive emotions. That's what positive thinking is. And so, yeah, for you, if you go out there and say, I expect to win, this is what I train for. And that makes you feel calm and ready. Positive thinking. If an athlete goes out there and says, you know what? It maybe they don't even think of the outcome. They say, I'm focusing on my position and I've got my position. And that makes them feel calm and ready. That's a positive thought. And so once people really start to grasp, okay, if it makes me feel cocky or uncomfortable or, you know, that feeling of being off, that doesn't have to be my thought. Let me come up with another thought that really works for me. Yes. I love that. I love that. Perfect add on. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what say, so out of your, out of your clients, like what age, what age group, like more gravitates towards, towards your services? Yeah. So I am situated, I'm in Maryland, pretty equidistant between DC and Baltimore and the sports world here is booming. Mm. Um, We've got, highly competitive club sports from very young ages up to a handful of D1 colleges just in my area. Um, The youngest that I tend to get calls from are in the nine to 10 age. And that's few and far between. And quite frankly, they're usually gymnasts, not surprisingly. Um, (laughs) Lots of seventh to eighth graders going into high school and then a lot of end of high school, getting ready for college. Do I play sports? Do I want to play sports in college? I really want to play, but what if it doesn't happen? And then, you know, again, end of, I would say for college age, it's a lot of freshman, sophomore athletes that had very high hopes or a lot of expectations that haven't panned out yet or seniors again, do I have a chance at playing professional? The, did I pick the right major? I don't think I want to work in this field, you know, <laughs> but the things that I went to. And yeah. then I, you know, still do some work with the Washington football team, as I mentioned, and I'm starting with my alma mater this year, which I'm really excited about. Nice. Mm-hmm. So are they ever going to pick a name? You know, <laughs> I honestly... <laughs> I, my vision, if I was not a marketing person at all, but if I were in charge, I would change the all DC sports to Washington basketball team, Washington baseball team, Washington football (laughs) team, and have that be like the city's brand. Hmm. I feel like people would really get into that. And when you've got a really excited fan base, teams tend to do better. They, you know, they like bring that. on that identity. They feel proud of that. So 
That would be, if I could choose, that's what I would do. That's awesome. I, I definitely didn't see that coming. <laughs> I don't I mind like Washington football team at all. I think it's such a great name. <laughs> yeah, like when I first heard it, I was like, come on. Come on. I'm like, the owner was a billionaire. That's the best you came up with. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, come on. It's like, you got to be a pretty bright person to, to amass a billion-dollar empire. It's like, mm-hmm. And that's the best you came up with, football team? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I digress. All right, so do you have a process that you go by, or do do you take people like do you teach in groups? Do you do individual? Mm-hmm. I did individual a hundred percent of the time for the first several years, and then again, then it was like Washington football team. Hey, can you work with the rookies? Do you work with groups? And I never had, but of course, mm. but yeah, oh yeah, of course totally. I do. Totally. And right after that, then it was um, it was actually a middle school girls basketball team okay. who, you know, nationally ranked, highly competitive, who said, hey, do you like come to practices and talk to whole teams? And I'm like, totally. Absolutely. I do that. And that team, it was seventh grade girls basketball. And I remember just being like, oh, you know, I'm sure this would be fine. But it was the first time. I started going to practices once a week after their conditioning. We'd sit, you know, it was eight girls and I, we'd sit in the middle of the court. We'd, I'd pick a different topic each week where we talk about the tournament that happened that weekend. We talk a little bit about mental skills and it was like a 15, 20 minute thing once a week. And when I started doing that, I was like, Oh my gosh, I really like this. I like this way more then I shouldn't say I like it more than one-on-one. One-on-one works beautiful for individual sports. But when it's a team sport and I do this work one-on-one with this athlete and then they go back to their team sport and their coaches don't know what we did and the teammates don't know Mm. what we did, it's just so much harder to execute for them. Yes. And if I'm working with the whole team, what I'm really excited about working with my alma mater this year, I'm going to be working with men's basketball, is the first time where I have a year contract and every week I meet with the players as a team, the players individually, the coaches as a group, and then the head coach individually for an entire year. So everyone is getting the information. Everyone is hearing it. We're talking about topics from coach's perspective, player's perspective, individual team. It's I'm so excited. And I think as I've gone through this, it's really, if it's a team sport, I want to be involved in the team, deeply involved in the team. If it's individual, one-on-one works a lot better or one-on-one, but you sometimes bring in the coach or you sometimes bring in the parent for support. Yes. So it's really, it's not necessarily a set process, but as I'm going along, it's I'm really starting to fine tune. Mm, you're giving me ideas over here. <laughs> Because, like, because I, I speak in school, but I, I speak more so to individual classrooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do we pick, you know, whatever whatever the teacher says the kids' biggest needs are, We I speak on that topic. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've always wanted to, to do something with the athletes because I know it's it's needed. And just as I'm listening to you, like, I'm jotting stuff down. I'm like, this is a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> so they're going to help me expand my portfolio. <laughs> so, yeah, because um, as I said, it's, it's, it's a need. It's definitely a need. And 
as I read on your website, you know, it's, it's something that can be strengthened over time. You know, see, I did my homework on you, right? Oh, like, it, it can be strengthened over time. Cause remember the uh, one time my daughter came to watch me compete mm-hmm. again, this was in t- January of 2019. It was an indoor, indoor track meet. And so, cause usually I'm at all their stuff and I usually go solo to mine, but she wanted to come. So I brought her, so I'm sitting down, I have my headphones on and I'm just chill. She's pacing back and forth and, and she looks at me and she's like, how are you so calm? Said <laughs> Cause I've been doing this for multiple decades. <laughs> it's like, that's why. But like, even still, like right before the competition, even now into my mid forties, you get those little butterflies. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's just still, but for me, it's not nervousness. It's like anticipation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I can't wait to step out there again. You know, like I took a I, I took a big gap in competition. I, I remember when I first got back out there in 2009 before I got a bad injury. <laughs> but but just stepping back out there, like you just get you just get a certain rush. Mm-hmm. You know, you just get a certain rush. And and to to help the kids transfer that anxiety into adrenaline like that that can go so so far as you yes i love having the butterflies talk because Mm -hmm. what so much of what happens mentally and emotionally and physically in our bodies are just automatic Mm -hmm. and so like we said just telling someone to say hey oh calm down have fun well my body's doing its own thing i can't just calm down (laughs) but what happens is in practice, you know, in practice, there's usually a lot less pressure. We train. Sometimes we have fun and play games and it's not a big deal. And you show up to a game or a tournament or a tryout. Your mind knows this is an important event. Your mind knows there's an outcome you want to achieve that you might not. Yeah. And so your body responds with adrenaline and energy. And so physically, you feel different at this game or tournament than you do at practice. So your mind automatically thinks that's bad. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Yeah. I feel weird. I don't. And so it's the thoughts that then spiral that then increase the anxiousness, increases the mu- muscle tension. Your breathing gets very fast and out of control. Yeah. But if you start to teach athletes, hey, your body's trying to help you. It knows this is an important event. It's like pumping energy, it's pumping adrenaline. As long as you can control what you're saying to yourself about it instead of, Oh my God, something's wrong. I feel weird. It, Oh, there's that adrenaline. (laughs) You know, the way you talk about it, even though physically there's no difference, the way you talk about it and explain it to yourself and understand it will change your entire experience with it. And so, and like you said, that takes practice. It takes practice to remind yourself over and over and over that this energy and this feeling is can serve me if I let it. It's yes. not just the one time, oh, okay, I got it. It's you train it, you try it, you fail, you get better, you get a little worse, you get a little better. Mm-hmm. And over time, it becomes an, a skill like your sport. Yes. So go, going back to Tough Mudder. So it was my 11th time doing that particular race. Everyone else I was with, it was their first. So, mm-hmm. so like, psychologically I was prepared for everything that we were going to do. And so we got to this one obstacle where you, you had to jump off of a plank well, well off of a ledge onto a rope. Mm-hmm. Then you had to pull yourself up the rope, wrap your legs around this bar and then sloth crawl down the bar. And so, 
I I always go go first just just to show my look. See, it can be done. But it but it was me and five five women. So you know, men typically typically have a higher percentage of upper body strength. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that's always the first thing that they say. It's like, oh well, you know. I said, no, listen, don't worry about me. I was like, just focus on getting to the rope. Okay, then once you get to the rope. We'll talk you through. We'll talk you through that, and you can see the internal battle royal on their faces because <laughs> they're at that ledge. It's like, it's like I'm like, just get to the ropes. Like, well, what if I fall? I'm like, what if you don't? <laughs> you know, it's like, what if you don't? But I, I have it on vid- video too. So, so one of the women, she goes, and now when I tell you, she struggles with just leaving the ledge, but she got there. You know, we're all cheering, cheering her on. And it's like, just take it step by step. Like, get your feet on the knot. Like, now stand yourself up. Now move your arms. Get to the next knot. Like, reach for the bar. Like, and she did it. And she was just so elated. Absolutely elated. That, you know, I mean, when I tell you, her face was beaming. I was like, see? And you almost didn't try it. You know, because you were afraid. I said, but now you were afraid, but you still did it. But then what happened? You turned that fear into power and then you were able to get through it. I love that. Yeah. You were able to shift her mind from this outcome that might happen to what is the next step I do right now. And one of my favorite, when I say favorite, this is probably my favorite concept in life is that fear cannot physically cannot exist in the present Mm. fear only exists when you're thinking what if what if that happens what if that doesn't happen what if i don't get that what if i don't make the team Mm. when you're thinking about something down the road that is not now fear exists when you are fully present and as athletes say in flow or in the zone that's presence yeah fear literally cannot exist because you're not thinking about anything other than what you're just doing right now. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so true. So true. Like my son and I, we my oldest son, we were playing basketball. Yeah, the day I was supposed to meet you. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it was so random because it what it wasn't supposed to happen. Like like I was outside shooting, he ended up coming out and then we started battling. I completely I, lost, I completely lost getting, track of time. <laughs> I love getting that email. I thought that was so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, want, I wanted to be so upfront about it. I could have said, oh, I got stuck on a call. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I was bowling. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, I, like, and I booked his butt. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, so we were doing a shooting game, and uh, he he beat me in that game. I said, all right. I said, so now let's play it again with the other person just in the face. You know, just just in the face. Like, you know, we're not going to try, try to block you, yeah. just in the face. And he, I think he made one. <laughs> he made one, and I made seven. Because <laughs> like I'm, I'm always better under pressure. But I told him, I said, see, I said that's the thing. Because like when I play them, I play them hard. Because you know, if, if you, if like my twins want to play play basketball once uh, school gets back to normal, and, and I was like, you know, I play you hard because when you get on the team, the other kid's gonna play you hard. <laughs> I said, so I'm not going to make it easy for you, uh-huh. right? Right. I'm going to, if I keep knocking the ball away, eventually you're going to learn how to shield me from it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to learn to dribble with both hands. Like, you got to put yourself into the fire a little bit if you want to come out of it a better, stronger, stronger player. Mm-hmm. And you're also going to learn that your value is not tied to your performance. If you haven't learned something yet or you haven't gotten it yet or, or your execution wasn't as good as you wanted, but your dad is still there excited to play with you and he's not making you feel bad about it. You're going to start to associate mistakes and training and learning is not a bad thing. It's part of the process. But when we punish athletes, the girls basketball team I was talking about, they were coming off of a coach who benched them every time they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. So these are seventh grade girls. So what do you think happened? Nobody wanted the ball because nobody wanted to make a mistake. They, They wanted to stay on the court. But they didn't want to make a mistake. So whoever got the ball, oh, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. (laughs) And it was this intense fear of making a mistake because that means we're benched and that is bad. And therefore, I'm I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. But if you're teaching your kids, yeah, you don't have it yet. You got to work a little harder. You're getting closer. And I'm not mad about it. I'm not punishing you for it. I'm encouraging it. I'm encouraging the hard work to keep going our brain starts to make those connections between messing up. If I'm working hard and really trying and working on this, making mistakes is just part of it. It's the only way to get better. And owning your power. Again, you know, staying in the basketball realm. Yeah. You know, the cool part of scoring, but like when I coached in Providence, I had this, had this one girl, she, she couldn't shoot to save her life. And she wasn't the best passer either. But when I tell you, she was ferocious on defense. Uh. Absolutely ferocious. So, like, and and I would tell her up front, I'm like, when we're on offense, don't try to get the ball. Your job is to set set picks. Okay? You set picks. That's it. Like, and she she accepted that. I said, on defense, I'll be like, see her. Don't let her get the ball. I said, that's your sole purpose in life. Wherever she is, you blanket her. And... That's what that's what her role was. It's like I, I wasn't gonna turn her into a Steph Curry shooter, uh-huh. but but I just took her her aggression and we shut down the opposing team's top scorer, you know. Uh-huh. And 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 she she accepted that 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 role. She, she would get steals, she would get blocks, she would get rebounds. Like I don't need you to score. Just do those things. I was like Emily, mm-hmm. Olivia, and Sarah. They'll score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you do those things best. And I think letting kids see that. You know, because obviously the people who score 30 points, they get all the headlines. Mm-hmm. So so it's like, no, it's like, it's like, I don't need that from you. Like, I need this from you. Yep. you know, and I think that goes into that mental coaching because if someone does, you know, drop 20 points and you drop four and you're feeling bad about, uh, you know, about yourself, they have to be, you know, say, no, no, no. You did what your job was, like what you were supposed mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Teaching teams. And this really goes into team culture is teaching teams the concept of everybody being a piece of the whole and that we are you know our society unconsciously slash consciously teaches people attention equals good followers equals good if you're not getting likes and follows and attention Mm. that must be bad yeah and in reality it's no if my piece is contributing to the whole that is good And the same goes for injured players. I mean, they have major emotional things to work through because it feels like I am now 
not part of the glory. I'm now not part of the team. I'm separate doing my own thing. But if you can work with injured athletes and say, yeah, but you can help the coaches. You can cheer your butt off from the sidelines. You can help me plan and organize and talk to other teammates and encourage them. That is a major piece of the whole. Yes, yes, not what you want right now. No one wants to be injured and it mm-hmm. sucks, but your contribution can still be a really important piece and, and keeping yeah. everyone on that page. Yes. And that's just like watching film, you know, because mm-hmm. now you're you're not in it. You can sit back and watch mm-hmm. and you and you can see things that maybe you're missing while you're out there. You know, so there's lots of there's lots of learning, learning potential in there, you know, and that's where, you know, you you focus on the team and it it makes you feel like you're still out there. And I truly feel it speeds up healing. A hundred percent. Yes. I've had seven surgeries. I've had seven (laughs) surgeries. The first one was hell because it was my first one and Mm -hmm. it was the worst one. But I remember. Once the doctor told me I can start to put pressure on it, I immediately started walking. And, oh. and I, I was like, I could have did this. <laughs> I could have did this a while ago, you know, but just because he had it in my head, don't put any pressure, don't put any pressure at all. Mm-hmm. And then in, in a matter of a couple of days, I can, it, okay, it's okay. Because like, I know they have to err on the side of caution. But I was sure. like, I was like, you know what? I said, I'm controlling my own healing from now on. Like if I get hurt again, and I bounced back from everything pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it helps going into it strong, but a lot of it is in the mind. So it's like I focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. A hundred percent. And those, you know, the, the way we think and feel about injuries or anything else, as we discussed, has a physical impact on your body. Muscle yes. tension changes, blood flow changes, breathing changes. So if you're going through a rehab, or rehabbing injury from a physical state that is tense and upset and, you know, all of that, your actual recovery truly is different. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't want this to end. I know. This has been so fun. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'll de- definitely have to have you on again. Cause uh, I feel like there's still so much stuff we can cover with this topic. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Oh, there's there's my niece, folks. On what oh. I can do, love it. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Shante. She was actually a guest on my show a couple weeks ago. So, all right, Aww. all right. So, like I said, I don't want I don't want this to end. <laughs> <laughs> so much, so much more, more we could talk about. And she said, "Great interview." Oh, awesome. love that. Thank you. <laughs> awesome, great. Yeah. So, again, you know, thank you very much for joining us. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, so I, you know, um, I should say surprisingly, I do not do any social media for my business oh. and I do very little personal. Um, and that's a, that's a whole mindset we discussion we could talk about, but <laughs> my website is btgcoach.com, which is beyond the game coach.com. And you can send me messages through there. It also has my cell phone and my email on there so I can be directly contacted. Awesome. 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 So yes, it's a great, great talk. Great topic. Um, I might, I might steal your idea and do it for the local schools around here. <laughs> Cause, cause it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, like where where I rent space for my gym is actually a sports performance facility. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so the owner there, like he's got contacts in tons of schools. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is, yeah, this is great. You no, know, I feel like people people meet for a reason. You know? oh, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, keep doing what, what you're doing. I love it. You know, I'm glad I scrolled, scrolled by uh, Sharifa's show that day, you know, and linked up with you. Don't yeah. sign, yeah. Don't sign off because um, I want to connect you with a couple people. Okay, sounds great. All right. So thank, thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. I'll see you in a couple minutes. All right. All right. All right. So that was Amanda. If you tuned in late, make sure you go back and watch the full episode. This was great talking about basically you're empowering your mind. You know, like it's it's very cliche to say you know think about what you're doing, visualize it, gotta have vision, but it's it's all true. It's all true. Like your body is going to respond to what to what your mind tells it to do. So tell it to be badass and it will. All right. So you guys have yourselves a great day. And I am back tomorrow. Who's with me tomorrow with Jay? Jay didn't confirm. So it might be a be a solo show. I'll let you know. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster. On Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.